You are listening to the Fantasy Joes Podcast, your weekly dose of fun and unique fantasy football talk with a focus on Dynasty. And now, here are your hosts, Trey Barrett, Will Greenwood, and Ryan Livergood. That's right. We're the Fantasy Joes. We're back in 2019. A lot has happened. A lot of things that I personally, as a Bears fan, don't want to talk about. So I'm just going to move on. I'm Ryan Livergood at Roto Librarian. Let me introduce our guest before I throw it to Trey and Will. We've got Paul Pertichese on the show, everybody. He's the co-host of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. We've got the rookie hype already, Paul. So we're like, who are we going to have on to introduce us to these rookies? We said Paul Pertichese. We love your show. You guys have done great work this year. And um, you, you keep cranking out the podcast. You, you've got your premium notebooks, which I bought a couple weeks ago. So I'm starting to read about the rookies. So, Paul, for those uh, listeners that don't know you, can you give us a brief introduction and tell us about what you've been doing? You've been, you've been following the NFL, but you've really been focused on this uh, 2019 rookie class and some of these Debbie guys, right? Yeah, absolutely. So first, just uh, glad to be back on the show. Always looking forward to uh, talking uh, football with you guys. And yeah, I mean, college prospects, been scouting these guys since the summer. You know, now that Matt and I have been doing this for a couple years there over at Saturday Sunday, we've really started to see now these guys go from literally high school seniors, freshmen, sophomores, you know, and now like on to the NFL. That's how long now we've been doing Saturday, Sunday. And, you know, we really dig into these guys. We start our research in the summer and then all year it's kind of just, you know, adding more guys to the scouting notebook and, you know, updating it, you know, watching more film on these guys to get a better feel for these guys because a lot can change in a year. Some doesn't, you know, we watch the guy in the summer and then we'll rewatch him during the year and then more particular after the year and, and some changes, some don't, you know, and, and that's kind of the thing. It's a, it's a, it's a never ending process in terms of learning about these guys. And, you know, the season just ended obviously national championship a couple of days ago. And, and this is really where Matt and I really start cranking into high gear in terms of multiple podcasts a week, updating the scouting notebook, separating into the guys who declare for the draft, you know, and then making separate tabs for the draft eligible guys who aren't there. You know, and we really go back between the senior bowl and the combine is really when I go back and try to watch every single guy again that I wrote up in the summer that I've watched throughout the year, but mostly live television coverage. And then the guys I've added more recently to the notebook, I, I did a deep dive in their film right now. So I have a lot more film analysis to go watching these guys and updating to see if a lot has changed since the summer. So, you know, for people who are regular listeners and people who purchase the notebooks and, you know, check out the rankings notebook and the sky notebook, you'll see a lot of changes over the next couple months here as we watch more film because it, really does change a lot so a guy who maybe I had ranked third or fourth in the summer you know he can move up he can drop down guys come out of nowhere that I really have to get eyes on uh and even recently I just watched a couple more guys recently and they've been added to the notebook they've been added to the, the rankings notebook guys like Greg Dorch out of Wake Forest Hakeem Butler out of Iowa State and still waiting on a few other guys to potentially declare or not declare I'm um, looking forward to that deadline coming and going so uh, I know who's in and who's out and who I really got to get eyes on so, Paul, when is the deadline for that? When do we f- we're going to finally know who's in, who's out? It, I believe it's January 15th. Don't hold me to it. I know it's right in the middle of the month of January, so I'm going to say it's January 15th. And I think we know most of the guys. I think a couple guys we're waiting on are Alabama running back, uh, Josh Jacobs, who we'll talk about a little bit later tonight, I am a huge fan of. Uh, we're waiting on the, Iowa, the second Iowa tight end, TJ Hawkinson, who could potentially be a first-round NFL pick and probably in the fantasy world, maybe a second round pick in, in some rook, in rookie drafts. Uh, a couple other guys were waiting on, you know, Brian Edwards. Actually, I know we had a conversation with him off air. He actually just officially 
said he wasn't in last night. I think maybe the tea leaves had been reading that way, so I had thought it had been announced earlier, but he just decided last night he was going back to school, so that was right. You know, so there's a, there's a couple other guys, a couple other wide receivers. Uh, one of the Texas wide receivers declared we're still waiting on his teammate, Colin Johnson. Uh, Irv Smith Jr., a tight end they really like out of Alabama, also waiting on him. So there's a handful of other guys who, you know, could be guys that are relevant, you know, top 50, top 60 type NFL picks, which would probably then translate to probably more for late first to somewhere in second round rookie picks or early third round rookie picks. There's still a few of those guys out there uh, that we're kind of waiting word on. Yeah. And I, I just looked it up. We were talking, it's uh, it is the actually the 14th, January 14th okay. is uh, that, that deadline. So we're, we're coming up to it. So we're going to have the final idea. Who's going to, going to come out. So let's uh, before we get into that, let's uh, throw it to Trey Barrett. Trey is our sec guy, Florida Gator. Um, Trey, you're, you're hyped about the rookies? Yeah, man, I'm really excited. I think, you know, that everybody keeps talking about the 2020 draft class and how it's going to be this magical draft class. And there, it seems like people are just overlooking the 2019 class. I know that we're not going to have the top-end talent at the quarterback position that we had last year. The running back class, we've been kind of spoiled. Uh, you know, everyone's talking about the wide receivers and tight ends in this class. But I just feel like that overall the class is being a little bit disrespected. And, and I think that I'm, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm pretty interested to talk to Paul tonight about finding out what areas of the, of the uh, rookie drafts are going to be the most talent rich, where the values are going to be. Cause I want to start adding, I'm thinking that, you know, we, we've been talking about this a little bit offline that how I think some, you know, mid second round picks are going to be some real, real values for this draft class. So I'm excited. I think it's going to be a really good class. I think there's going to be a a lot of contributors. Um, So looking forward to starting to to break down the group. And speaking of contributors, contributors, excuse me, a lot of contributors from, uh, I can't even say that word contributors. What's my problem from the great state of Iowa, whether it be the Iowa Hawkeyes or Iowa state and our own Will Greenwood is from the great state of Iowa. So Will, you got to be excited. A lot of guys would be excited about from Iowa, right? Oh, yeah. God bless the Hawkeyes. And then the rest of the state also gets kind of lumped in with that. So I'm pretty stoked. We have some good guys coming out this year as far as the state goes. And I have to be very, very careful with my homerism because it worked out extremely well with George Kittle and extremely poorly with Akram Wadley. Uh, And going into this season, I actually, uh, as we get on with this episode and into this, you know, kind of rookie draft, uh, the the tight ends from Iowa, I I don't know if, Paul, if you watched any more tape on, on Hawkinson, but I think I might be more excited for him if he declares as a, as a full on prospect and to use just, it's, it's very, not, not a comp, but I feel like he's more in the build of that super athletic tight end that can also block uh, and run routes in his great hands. And according to uh, an Iowa game has a higher vertical leap than LeBron James. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Hawkinson. He's a guy who I really got eyes on. I had heard a lot about him throughout the year. I know Dame Ruler has been really championing his cause uh, most of the year. And I finally said, okay, you know, like, there was starting to be whispers that he might declare. So I was like, all right, I got to get eyes on him. And I watched him, and I loved him. To be honest with you, to me, he is the mo- most complete tight end in the class by far. He's a very different position. It's almost it's impossible almost to compare him directly with his teammate Noah Fant, who I compare more to like an Evan Ingram type, and we'll talk mm-hmm. more about him later. Hawkinson, to me, 
the, the name that I've been throwing out there is Hunter Henry, who I think, you know, is a guy who can line up in line, but he's got athleticism to make plays vertically down the field. He's got good hands. He can run good routes. You know, I, I think Hawkinson is one of three guys who could be first-round NFL picks. And I didn't think we were going to have another draft after the one two years ago with Ingram, Njoku, and O.J. Howard, where we would maybe potentially see three guys again. And, you know, I know a few minutes ago, Trey asked area of strength. I think the tight end class has the potential to be the strongest group if Irv Smith and T.J. Hawkinson both come out because those are the other two guys with Noah Fan who I think could be first-rounders. But it goes like 10, 11 deep of guys that I'm really intrigued about at the tight end position and there's going to be some great value sitting there on the third day of the NFL draft, and that'll translate to being great value to be had in rookie drafts, whether you play in one tight end or even in the two tight end leagues or the tight end premium leagues. There's going to be a lot of good guys in that third, fourth round of tight ends who I think are going to get an opportunity. You know, I know I've talked to uh, a lot about Chris Herndon. He's a guy who, you know, I was a big fan of kind of got lost in the shuffle last year in the pre-draft process because he was injured. And then we saw what he did this year. I think there's going to be a handful of guys that go on day three this year that make an impact. Now, maybe not year one because tight ends don't always have an immediate impact, but overall their game, I think translates. I think it's going to be a pretty deep class and it'll be interesting to see how special of a class it is. I think that kind of depends on the two guys we're waiting on Irv Smith and Hawkinson. And one note about Hawk, too, is if, when you go back and watch uh, some of the tape, if, if it weren't for Nate Stanley missing a wide-open T.J. Hawkinson on a, a, a handful of throws, I know I can name two specifically at least, his stats would pop even more off the page. He'd have a couple more touchdowns and at least like 150 more yards. And so his, pro, his prospect profile would look even massive, even more massive than it does now. Yeah, I mean, I hope by now also people, you know, start realizing stats are intriguing. They're fun to talk about, but they really don't give us a full picture at all. Like I know, you know, on the Saturday, Sunday pod, man, I constantly talk about how irrelevant some stats are. Like we are such don't care about things like yards per carry. It's so, that's so dependent upon the offensive line, market share. I, I get it. Breakout age. Some some fantasy analysts really dig that and. That's what, that's what they really do, and they follow it, and they really believe in it. Matt and I are more about the film, looking for traits, looking for skills. You know, we were probably the two biggest Alvin Kamara fans out there when people didn't think he could be good. Uh, last year, we had a pushback on how much hatred Josh Allen was getting because we saw some of the traits that we liked. And, you know, a, a guy like, you know, George Kittle, who we did miss out on that we weren't talking enough about, and we started to see how athletic he was at the Combine, I think we kind of pigeonholed him into, oh, he didn't really put up much stats at Iowa. He was mostly asked to block. Well, that was what he was asked to do, and that's the reason why. And if we looked a little bit past maybe the lack of production, maybe I – me personally, I, maybe I wouldn't have missed out on not realizing how good of a player he could be. Obviously, most of the NFL missed out pushing him as far down as they did. But I think sometimes we have to look a little bit past statistics. So I hope people don't hold that against a guy like Hawkinson, you know, a couple big plays that could have made his stats a little bit more gaudy. Because if you really sit down and watch him, I think anybody's going to come away impressed. Yeah, that's a good point. There are a couple of guys we're going to talk about that we took and are Fantasy Joe's way too early 2019 Dynasty Superflex rookie mock draft, that's hard to say, um, that kind of fit that criteria. Maybe they don't have the college production, but it doesn't mean they're not going to be outstanding in the NFL. So, guys, without further ado, let's jump right into it. The Fantasy Joe's way too early 2019 rookie mock draft. 
let's talk about this way too early 2019 Dynasty Superflex Rookie Mock Draft. And, Paul, you alluded to it. You're going to change your rankings throughout the process. A lot's going to change. We realize that. We're just, you know, just, this is just kind of a, a platform vehicle for us to start to talk about some of these guys because we're excited about it. Maybe introduction for a lot of our listeners to some of these players. Will, we, we randomized the order. Each Joe got four picks, kind of in random order. Will, you uh, walked away with the 101. So who did you take? Uh, and I was all, all, all you know, psyched up to do this early mock draft. Then I got the 101, and it took me like a day and a half to make the pick. But I finally landed on the, some guy. Uh, he, I believe that he was more closely to consensus 101 coming into the season. And I don't think he did anything to hurt his profile and what he's doing. And watching him, he's still, I feel like, equally as incredible, if not better, with the way the QB situation that he had at the school he was at. And so I, in, in a draft where I love, I, one, one thing about uh, me is I love alpha dog wide receivers. It's kind of an addiction in my dynasty leagues. Like, I, like uh, I traded Doug Baldwin for Alshon Jeffrey before the start of the year. It's kind of that kind of thing. I love the alpha dog, the big guys, the strong guys who can still run great routes and, and are pretty fast. So, like, uh, that, that's kind of one of my things. So this draft class is very, very tempting for me. But to lead it off, I went with David Montgomery from Iowa State, who I think was close to the consensus, if not the consensus 101. In a lot of places, I guess consensus, you don't say a lot of places. But uh, he, was, he was a really high uh, prospect coming into this year. I think he slid a great year. If you look at exactly what he did and, and how he was doing it, uh, I'm very excited for where he lands. And this is also a little bit – I mean, obviously it's early – I think he has a great opportunity to land in a great spot. That's one of the reasons I took him here as well. Paul, what say you? What do you think of this uh, pick? David Montgomery, the 101 in this mock draft. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think Montgomery is one of the three most talented running backs in this class. I love his all-around game. I don't think Iowa State utilized him in the receiving game nearly as much as they should have. I think that's actually going to be one of his calling cards at the next level. I mean, he runs tough physical, hard-nosed, but he's got the quickness and acceleration, you know, to make a big-time play, to make people miss in the open field, push the pile, fight for more yards, his play strength, his burst, his acceleration. I think it's all really good. Do I think he's the clear-cut 1.01? No, but I, I think that's about part of what makes this draft class so unique. And, yeah, it doesn't have that top-end talent uh, that Trey was saying before, but it's got a lot of really unique players and a lot of interesting players and a lot of talented players. I just think it's one of those draft classes that draft capital, landing spot, depth chart, and immediate opportunity is really going to sway what a dynasty rookie draft looks like early on. You know, we've had drafts where we knew Saquon Barkley was one. We knew Ezekiel Elliott was one. We knew Todd Gurley and Melvin Gordon were going to go one, two, you know, when they came out. This year, I I think it's legitimately – eight to 12 guys could be the first pick in a rookie draft. And I think never, I've been playing dynasty, you know, leagues for 10, 15 years. I never remember thinking that it could be that wide open, that there's so many different potential names who could go at the top of the draft. So I think Montgomery is right up there in the mix with other couple other running backs and a whole bunch of wide receivers that I think could be in play. It depends on where he goes. I mean, I, I, we could say this for every running back, so I'll say it once and I won't say it again. Like, if the Chiefs decide at the end of the first round to invest in a running back, well, that guy's probably going 1.01, whoever it is. You know, maybe a running back, you know, comes out of nowhere like Rashard Penny did last year to go in round one, who most people are thinking is a round three talent. 
he still might go 1.01 if he ended up in the Chiefs there. I know Damian Williams had a nice finish to the year, and they signed him to a two-year deal. But I don't know if they look at him as the guy or the bell cow or the 70% of a committee-type guy locked and loaded. So I, I think a, a couple of running backs are in the mix. I think Montgomery is one of the more talented running backs in this class. So I think it's a, I think it's a solid pick. I just don't think it's one that we could say definitively yet. Would I be stunned if, we're, if, if after the draft we're having rookie drafts where he's the eighth or ninth pick in the first round? No, because maybe he goes in the mid to late second round and it's a team that already has a somewhat established running back. Then he could slide down or he can go first. It's, it's going to be one of those years that's really intriguing, but I do like the player a lot. So I had the 102, and I was very excited because uh, I didn't think a lot about this. There are a lot of wide receivers I like here, but I took Nikhil Harry out of Arizona State. This guy was a five-star recruit out of high school, a big, strong receiver. You're going to hear this a lot tonight, right, Paulie? A big, strong guy, 6'4", 216, super productive in college, 2,000-yard seasons, 26 career touchdowns. He's a guy with great hands, a strong body. He can beat opposition a lot of different ways. You know, I don't watch, admittedly, a lot of college football, but when I did see him, the guy looked like a total stud. He looked like the real deal. He looked like the 101 to me. I think the biggest knock on him, it sounds like a lot of knocks on these big guys, of course, is like lack of deep speed. You hear that a lot with these big guys. But I don't know that that's going to be a significant factor for a big guy like him. It sounds like he's a good character kid. He stayed in Arizona to play for Arizona State, to stay close to his grandmother who raised him. Um, I, I believe they, she moved from St. Vincent to Arizona for, for him to grow up. I, it seems like he's a good kid, a good story. So for me, Harry seems like a pretty good pick at 102. He seems pretty safe. Paul, what do, you, what do you think of this pick? I like Harry's talent and potential. I think he's a guy that the combine is going to be really important for him because I think he's got to put to rest some athletic concerns because I, we see him out there, and especially in the Pac-12, like at times he's a man amongst boys, it looks like, and he dominates at the catch point. To me, he, he has a lot of Alshon Jeffrey in his game, but I think the hidden element to Nikhil Harry's game is you see him get the ball on like a wide receiver screen or a quick slant, and he also has some Demarius Thomas. Now, you kind of think of Demarius Thomas at the backstage of his career now, but when you think of early Demarius Thomas, you know, when he, you know, five years ago, four years ago, and then or to even further back in the beginning of his career, he was a beast on those like wide receiver screens, and he had more athleticism and more speed than, you know, than we see now, and maybe you thought he had for the size he has. I think Nikhil Harry is really good on in those wide receiver screen types. You see he's got build-up speed. So I think once he gets going at his size, at his force that he can generate, I think he makes plays happen in that regard. My only concerns I have for him are his separation quickness, you know, how quick he can get in and out of breaks, you know, when he's faced up against more physical cornerbacks that he's going to see at the NFL level, and he can't just basically bully ball them at the catch point at every single play. You know, last year, the NFL was very down on the big wide receivers in that draft class. Alan Lazard, Simi Cobb, uh, you know, Jaleel Scott, you know, the list goes on and on. And Nikhil Harry is more talented than those guys for sure. But it, you start to see a little bit of shift to the more shiftier guys, the better route runners. I think Nikhil, I think Nikhil Harry has some refinement in his route running. I just don't think he was asked to be a great route runner because he could just win at the catch point so much at the collegiate level. For me, he's in that five to seven range in terms of wide receivers that I like purely on, on skill when I watch the film. But he's a guy who, again, the, the, the margin between these guys is razor thin. So 
again, if he goes into a good spot where he can be, see a high target share, I could totally see him being a top three, top four, top five pick in a rookie draft. Right now, when I kind of rank these guys, I'm just doing it more on pure skill and talent I see, understanding full well that where they get drafted, the team, the quarterback, and all that stuff will dramatically sway things. I think he's a good player. Reminds me a lot of Alshon Jeffrey with a sprinkle of Demarius Thomas as well. So it's, you know, you, you bring up those two guys stylistically, it's a good comp in terms of if he hits any of those guys, it's well worth the pick. Hey, Paul, do you think when you look at guys like this, when you're evaluating a, a, this draft class so early, that like when it comes to the wide receivers, you're going to lean towards the more who you feel are the more talented wide receivers, whereas with running backs, maybe you're going to lean more towards landing spot situation. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So with, with you know, why, I think some people think that with wide receivers, it's all about the talent at the end of the day. Even if their situation's bad, they're going to rise. Where with running backs, really it's more so the situation. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the running back situation really – where they land, I think, dramatically swings things. Unless it's a player just so otherworldly talented, like no matter where Saquon Barkley went last year, he was going 1.01. But I think the rest of those guys, you know, Darius Geitz for most people was locked in as number two. But after that, Kerryon Johnson, Nick Chubb, you know, all those guys, you know, all were really going to be ranked, I think, based on where they landed, like you were talking about. Because for you draft a running back, you want immediate production because their lifespan is a lot shorter. The, the wide receivers, I think we understand that a lot, besides that amazing draft class of 2014 with Odell and Mike Evans and Sammy Watkins and all those guys, Allen Robinson, Devontae Adams, the list goes on and on. Besides that draft class, we don't see wide receivers make an immediate impact right out of the gate. So I think we understand that there's a little bit of a waiting game with the wide receivers to hit their peak value. So we do lean a little bit more towards who's got the most skill, who's got the most talent. Now I do think we do let quarterback and offense that players in, even though those things can change quickly too. I do think we let that sometimes skew our opinion after the draft. If a guy lands in an ideal landing spot with a great offense, great quarterback, you know is going to be there for a long time, or a guy lands in a place that has no quarterback and a poor offense, you know, like right now, if Baltimore invests early in a wide receiver, I'm not sure they're going to, he's, that wide receiver is going to be anywhere near the top 12 in a rookie draft. Because how much is Lamar Jackson? Is he going to throw enough consistently for you to feel comfortable taking the kill Harry in the top 10 if Baltimore was, say, to take him, say, in the second round? I know I wouldn't right now, so that would impact a little bit. But I think wide receivers, I agree with you, less immediate where they land and a little bit more big picture. But I think there are some circumstances where you would take that into account. So, Trey, here you are, the 103. What are you doing? So at the 103, I'll be honest, I had a bit of a tough choice here. I went back and forth between a couple guys, um, and the other guy is going to be talked about here in a few picks. Um, but I ended up going with A.J. Brown. He's a guy that I've liked for, for some time. He kind of broke on the scene uh, last year as a sophomore at uh, Ole Miss. And, you know, there, there's some debate on whether he's even the best wide receiver on his own team. Uh, but, but we'll kind of get to that. So I, the thing I like about A.J. Brown, I think that he projects he, – he's a, a, a big, strong guy. He's not super tall. Like, I think he's 6'1", but he's like 225, 230 pounds. Strong, really good hands. I, I think that he's probably going to end up if, – if he ends up being utilized as like a big slot in the NFL, 
I think that he has the ability to put up monster numbers. You know, he, he's a, a 75, 80 catch guy. I mean, the, the, those are the numbers he's been putting up at Ole Miss the last couple of years. And, and, and I think he's got, you know, he, he's very cerebral. If you see him, he catches the ball in space. He's good in, against zone coverage. He finds the spots. And then he kind of sets up the run after the catch well. Um, he, he also, I think his hands are incredible. I think he's a guy that's going to be utilized in the red zone. So I, I think that he is uh, a guy that, for me, has a really safe floor. You know, if I'm on the clock at 103 and I'm taking one of these wide receivers, I think he's a guy that's got a pretty safe floor but also still has, you know, double-digit touchdown, 80-catch uh, ceiling, depending on landing spot, depending on how he's used, um, you know. But, it, like, he, he's essentially the same size as Todd Gurley, like same height and weight. So – body type and, and, and how he uses that to his advantage. Not, a, not blazing speed, he, you know, he's not, not incredible acceleration, but when you watch him on film, uh, the guy just looks special. Yeah, I'm a big A.J. Brown fan, and it's been weird this year that every year I feel like the community, the draft Twitter community, and, you know, the fantasy football community, like kind of like find somebody to just kind of like put down in terms of what they do in college and find a way to criticize. I kind of feel like that's been A.J. Brown this year. Like, I feel like a lot of people are questioning his skill level, his ability, you know, translating to the, to the next level. And I disagree. I mean, he's my number two wide receiver. I'm a big fan of his game. I love the fact that Trey brought up. To me, you got to know what you're getting in him. If you're looking to, to get him and play him as an outside wide receiver only and expect him to be like a true number one X type vertical wide receiver, then you're drafting the wrong guy, you know, and you're going to struggle in that regards because in reality, he is what Trey alluded to. To me, his best position is inside in the slot. I think that's where he's going to be most effective. I'm not saying he can't show signs of being better on the outside. He just wasn't asked to do it a tremendous amount because Ole Miss played three and four wide, and they had a couple of other guys that were more traditional outside wide receivers. I think stylistically, he reminds me a lot of Juju Smith. That's been the comparison that's been kind of thrown out there for over a year now. I think it was brought up again by Daniel Jeremiah and, and some of the NFL Network guys before the season started. You know, Juju Smith had a, has some more better vertical down the field skills on the outside, and we started at his last year at USC. But every time I watched Juju Smith, I always thought his best position was inside. And even now in Pittsburgh, I think Juju Smith's at his best when he's inside in the slot, utilizing that size and physicality that he brings to the table. You know, those great hands. I think A.J. Brown has that. You know, there are going to be some people. I don't think he's going to test well. I don't think he's going to blow. I think if he runs like a 4-5 or a 4-5-2, I think that's okay for him. I think that's, that's him checking a box. He's not going to be a 4-4 speed guy. And you got to be okay with that and, and kind of understand that going into and knowing who you're getting. So I think Trey said it good. I think he's a safe pick. I, I don't think he's shooting for the, the home run guy who maybe can turn into a top five, top ten wide receiver in all of the NFL. There's a couple of those guys that have the upside to do that, one being uh, A.J. Brown's teammate, who we'll talk about in a few minutes, I think. So there's other guys. But I think A.J. Brown in the right situation is going to produce. And if, if he, the team who picks him knows what he is, I think, it'll be, I think he's going to have a good NFL career. 
Yeah, I, I, I think he's an interesting guy, and it'll be interesting to see how he tests out in the combine, and, and I think that, that was uh, well summarized, Paul. Uh, but let's get into some more explosive guys, and, and I think the next two players that come off the board are guys that um, are maybe are a little more sexy we're getting pretty excited about. Uh, Will, but you, you – uh, well, I won't spoil it for you, but this is a hot name, the, the guy you took here at the 104. Well, you can blame our guest tonight for this pick specifically. I've been really into the Saturday to Sunday football podcast lately. I really like the content you guys are putting out, and it's been a great listen. I've re-listened to your episodes a couple times uh, just, just to try to get everything I can out of it. And this is kind of the result of that. Uh, and there's other, there's other places, too, that have been high on who I'm taking here. Josh Jacobs from Alabama, even though he's not, let's say, the number one running back there. And his – I don't know. His, his on-field play is dynamic. It, to me, it seems it seems special in a way that I'm not great enough to describe specifically. But after hearing you know you guys talk about him and this spot again, we're in an early, early, early draft. So <laughs> this is kind of like my gamble on upside at the number four here versus going like what I feel would be like safer with one of the the you know top or one of the top wide receivers so i'm taking josh jacobs from from alabama yeah maybe our first guy off the board that doesn't necessarily have that you know those numbers that pop out at you but so many people saw him in that semifinal game against oklahoma and he sure looked amazing and on twitter twitter's blowing up like oh my gosh this guy's rising up these uh you know dynasty rookie draft boards uh so but paul you you've been you you uh, you and matt have been talking about him for a long time so obviously you like this pick by will yeah, absolutely. Right now, if I had a, you know, if I was in one of those crazy leagues that were picking, you know, prior to the combine or prior to the draft, he arguably would be in consideration for me with the 101 pick. You know, that's how much I like his game. I think when the dust settles on the running back class, I think he's going to be the one that intrigues the NFL teams the most. I think if he declares, I mean, which is another we're still waiting on, like yeah. the whole landscape of him could still change the whole narrative if he decides to go back to school, which I don't think he is because I think he realizes he's got an opportunity to maybe carry a heavier workload in the NFL than he did in college. I think Jacobs is going to be a guy that people look back on and they kind of question themselves of like, why didn't Saban utilize him more? You know, similar to, you know, what, I remember saying a lot about why didn't Tennessee make use of Alvin Kamara and, and all the skill set that he brought to the table. I think Jacobs is, is probably on pure talent alone, the most skilled running back in this draft in terms of his versatility, in terms of his complete package. You want power and blowing guys up and, not, and knocking guys over. He has that. David Montgomery has it too, two, the best two in the class for sure. You know, you know, talking to a close friend of mine, he brought up the name when he runs hard and angry like that, you almost see, you know, some Mark Ingram in him. I said, you know, you see some Sony Michelle in him, the way he finishes runs. But the difference between him is he's got burst and acceleration that is greater than those guys. He's got quickness and agility on top of that. He's great in pass protection, something you could almost never say about collegiate running backs. Alabama's lined them up in the slot, and he's ran wide receiver routes out of the slot. He's done damage on kickoffs. So he can play special teams. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's a big play threat in the running game. He's got speed and acceleration. He's got burst and quickness. He's got agility and elusiveness. And he runs really hard, and he can break tackles, and he's doing it at like 215. So he's going to be a guy to probably test out in that 4-4-5 to 4-5 range. But that's plenty good. I mean, we've seen Dalvin Cook in that area. We've seen Joe Mixon in that area. We've seen Alvin Kamara in that area. 
And when I really sat down and watched him, and I mean, I wasn't at the forefront of this. If anybody, Dame Brugler from probably October was really singing the praises that this guy is going to be well regarded by the NFL. And I really started digging in and watching him closely. But I think, you know, I like him more than most of the running back prospects on talent alone from last year, excluding Saquon Barkley and Darius Geis. You know, so I actually think he is more not at the level that I love Joe Mixon and Dalvin Cook uh, and Alvin Kamara, but not that far behind them and ahead of the rest of the guys from last year, the carry on who I love a lot, Michelle. That's how high I am on Jacob. So I'm hoping he declares. And if he does, I think by the time the draft night rolls around, he has a legitimate chance to be the only running back taken in round one in the first night. Woo, all right. Now we're getting excited. Paul, that's, uh, I think, the most excited you've been about any of the guys we've talked about. So now, I, now I'm excited. Can I redo my 102 and take uh, Josh Jacobs? That's what I want to do. <laughs> no, see, you <laughs> about Josh Jacobs, and then you watch him make some flash plays, and you look back at a few other things he's done, and, and it's really fun. And I didn't even mention it when I was talking about the pick. Uh, he may he may not even be eligible. So, or he may like go back to Alabama. <laughs> That's somehow, all right. They, somehow they keep people for four years there. I mean, I just don't see any year. way. I don't see any way he returns to school. I mean, the 2020 draft class is loaded, absolutely loaded at running back. If he goes back to school, he's going to cost himself a lot of money. And, and that's not even if he. I mean, he could get injured. I mean, I, I think I think he already has two children. But maybe he even has like a three-year-old. I, I think I read an article that was talking about him having kids. And so I, I think it, I would be stunned if he doesn't uh, enter the draft this year. Bold prediction, or maybe not so bold. I think you're right, Trey. It makes sense. It makes all the sense in the world uh, for him to, to declare. So let's get into the next guy who I think is also super exciting guy to talk about is DK Metcalf. Uh, another physical specimen, 6'4", 225. You know, maybe he's the – bigger, more explosive uh, Ole Miss wide receiver that we're going to be looking at. I, I think the, the thing that's a little bit scary about him is his injury concerns. That's the major question mark with Metcalf. But the guy, you know, you know I, I've heard he has the highest upside perhaps of any wide receiver in this draft class. So, so Paul, what do you think? Is it risky to take a guy like Metcalf here? What are we at, the 105, or is this a good place for him? Is that true? Does he really have the chance to be the best wide receiver um, in terms of fantasy in this draft class? Yeah, I think if if you ask me now, by the time the draft starts getting closer, I think the consensus in most fantasy circles is that he's going to be 1.01. That's, how, that's what I think the consensus is already starting to build that. Now – you're going on a lot of upside there. He's the most talented in terms of shooting for the ceiling, shooting for the potential, shooting for the upside. You know, you, you watch him play. He, he's a very talented player. I see a little bit faster Des Bryant type player when I watch him play. Great at the catch point, can make acrobatic catches, but I think he's got more pure speed than a guy like Des Bryant. But he's got some injury concerns. His entire sophomore year, I believe, he was he missed. Then this year, he suffered the neck injury, which the NFL teams are really going to be analyzing that closely with a neck injury. You know, so he doesn't have a lot of collegiate production. So kind of going back to what we were saying, you're kind of drafting him on talent and skill and his traits that he possesses, and I think they are high level. And it sounds like he started to kind of create a gap between him and everybody else. And a lot of 
draft Twitter's mind in terms of the most talented wide receiver in this class, where he's the only name you're really hearing about have top 10 or top 15 potential in the actual NFL draft. You're not hearing about that about any other wide receiver at this moment anymore. You know, when people say, oh, you know, maybe a team in the top 10 would take a wide receiver. Well, if they do, it would be DK Metcalf. I mean, that's what you keep hearing. You know, Metcalf is a guy for me who I have in third. Uh, I just made a a small switch right before we went on air uh, after A.J. Brown because I still like A.J. Brown's overall game a little bit more. But I think it goes back to what Trey was kind of saying before. I think A.J. Brown is a little bit more of the safer pick. D.K. Metcalf is shooting for the guy who could be a top 10 or top 15 wide receiver in the entire NFL if if he hits. A.J. Brown probably doesn't have that level of upside. But I think A.J. Brown is going to be a little bit more of of a safer pick. But I do think D.K. Metcalf is very talented. I think checking for him, I think he's going to check the boxes in terms of his combine testing. But for him, it's the thing that we don't get to see of combine week. And the medicals are probably going to be the most important thing in his entire pre-draft process. He'll probably check the box off for speed and jumps and all that stuff. But for him, it's going to be uh, the medicals. You know, does any team take him off the board? You might hear that. You know, you, you hear this team doesn't have this guy on the board. I wouldn't be stunned if there's a team or two that doesn't have DK Metcalf on the board with a neck injury. I mean, David Wilson, if people remember him, the running back out of Virginia Tech, had to retire from football with a neck injury. So neck injuries are no joke. NFL teams are very cognizant of it. Uh, So I get DK Metcalf coming out because he probably wasn't going to stay in school and risk another injury. But I do think NFL teams are really going to do their due diligence. And that could be the only thing that maybe pushes him out of round one in the NFL draft. And the only thing that maybe potentially drops him a little bit in rookie drafts if, if, there's, if that get, becomes a more serious topic in the pre-draft months. All right. And I, I think you're going to like who Trey took at the 106. I think he might be your number one wide receiver, I think. So, Trey, you had to be thrilled that this gentleman dropped you at the 106. Yeah, and to be honest, I really felt after I took Brown at the 103 and, uh, you know, like I mentioned that it came down to him and one other guy. And that one other guy was Calvin Harmon. And as soon as I picked him, at, uh, picked AJ Brown at 103, I remember thinking, you know, if this were a real, I, at the mo- I took I took AJ Brown because he was a little safer. I felt like, but the, the more I thought about, it, I thought, you know, if this were a real drive. This if this were a team, and I were really building it, I would have taken Kelvin Harmon. Kelvin Harmon is the prototypical X receiver. He he's the guy. Uh, he's six three, two hundred and fifteen, two hundred twenty pounds. Um, and has the ability to be a dominant force on the outside in the NFL. I, I think that he's got a ton of potential, and um, I, I love him. I, I think that he's another guy that, you know, depending on how the combine and the draft process works out, could could be in serious consideration at the 101 even. Um, so great, great production there at NC State. Um, you know, I think benefited from a really good quarterback. I, I think that's – you know, some of these guys, when you look at their production, you know, you, you kind of have to take into consideration the offense that they played in and, and the quarterback that was throwing them the ball. But um, you can watch his film, man. You, you, get, you put the ball near this guy, and he, he's coming down with it. So another guy that I think is going to be a big threat in the red zone as well. So Kelvin, Kelvin Harmon's a guy I really like a lot. And, and to get him at this spot in the, in the, the draft, I thought was awesome. Yeah, so Paul, you, you like it, right? You like 106. If he dropped you in your uh, dynasty draft to 106, you'd be pretty thrilled. Yeah, absolutely. I mentioned before that if I was drafting super early, my pick at the top of the draft would either be Josh Jacobs or Calvin Harmon. Uh, Calvin Harmon is my number one wide receiver in the class. I don't, 
foresee me coming off of that unless something, you know, really, you know, at the combine is really off from what I gathered on film. Like, you know, he runs like a four, six or something, which I'm not anticipating. I don't think he's a blazer. I don't think he, you know, I remember in the beginning of the year, people were throwing out some Julio Jones type comparisons. I don't think he's that type of athleticism. I don't think he's got like, you know, Julio ran like four, three, eight or four, four, something like that, I think, or four, four, two. I mean, Julio is otherworldly freakly. You know, I don't think Calvin Harmon is that type of freak athlete, but I do think he is a prototypical number one outside X wide receiver who can win at all three levels of the field. I think he's a pretty good route runner, good hands, uh, can make the acrobatic catch, good route runner, and has enough speed to get vertical. I love him on the back shoulder throws, the fades. To me, when I watch him play stylistically, schematically how he's used, the, the guys I comp him to are uh, Devontae Adams, who I know right now is shot to the top of most dynasty wide receiver bo- uh, boards. I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Devontae Adams, but he reminds me a lot of Devontae Adams when Devontae Adams was coming into the league. And then, you know, this name's not going to sound good, but if people remember how good Hakeem Nix was for a period of like three or four years before injuries kind of sapped him of his career, Hakeem Nix was the first round pick for the Giants. And you go back, he was better than Victor Cruz, even though Victor Cruz got the attention because of the salsa dancing and, and some of the big plays. But Hakeem Nix was what really drove that Giants offense. He was the one that got the one-on-one coverage by the best defensive backs. And their body types are very similar, the way they win, the way their ability after the catch. So I think he's kind of on that, like, stylistically, schematically size. You know, Hakeem Nix, Devontae Adams in that type of world is going to dominate towards the, uh, the out routes, the back shoulder throws, the fades and stuff like that. Right now, I love Harmon. He's my number one guy in this class at the wide receiver position. And a, a fun fact about Harmon is uh, he was recruited by Steve Spurrier. Really? Because uh, you think about the age, is was, was four years ago, and it was that 2015 class, he has a quote about it, saying that he didn't choose, South, or, uh, didn't choose the school for him. Uh, and it's funny that he didn't actually you know, end up there, but. It's a, I don't know, just a little fun fact there in the background. Guys, this is a super flex draft, and no QBs have been taken off the board until right now. And, and i got to say, this guy, if you look at him in a vacuum, look at his numbers, you compare him to, um, you know, Tua at Alabama, for example, he's thrown about the same number of touchdowns, you know, 50-plus touchdowns. He, his completion percentage is about the same. About, uh, he's around 70%. And he's thrown for about 700 more yards. I'm talking about Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback from the Ohio State University. And I'm starting to wonder, uh, I think he's the best QB in this class. I I've, I've, you know, did watch a lot of Big Ten football, a lot of Ohio State games. And when I watched him, sometimes I was really impressed, sometimes I wasn't. He seemed like he was kind of up and down. Um, but if you look at his numbers, I'm just wondering if we're not sleeping on this guy. I, I mean, he's, um, you know, great touchdown to interception ratio. I think it's like uh, – you know, like five to one, obviously, you know, he's, he was recruited by the Ohio State University. I mean, and he might go to a place like the New York Giants. He might have a great landing spot. So in a super flex draft, Paul, what do you think of, of Dwayne Haskins? Maybe it depends on landing spot. If he goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars, maybe you're avoiding him. But I was looking at like who I was going to pick here. And I'm like, oh, no, no quarterbacks have gone off the board. And I looked at his numbers and I remember watching him thinking he looks good sometimes. And his numbers are amazing. So 
Is, is he a guy that we're kind of sleeping on? Yeah, I mean, listen, if he was to be taken, you said two teams right there. If he's taken by the Giants, this is a steal of a pick. He should be going, he should be going the first couple picks in the, in the draft. If he's taken by the Jaguars, okay, I think this is starting to become the area, you know, the back end of round one, I think is a more appropriate landing spot for him. I clearly think he's the number one quarterback in this draft class. The minute Justin Herbert decided to go back to school, I think it, it opened up a really wide gap uh, between number one and number two. The only other guy uh, who I think could enter the mix in terms of fantasy would be if Kyler Murray decides to say, I'm not going to baseball, chooses the NFL, is a first round or early second round pick with his rushing ability. We, it starts to, you know, we get into the whole conversation of, you know, where was Lamar Jackson taken in Superflex leagues last year? And I think Kyler Murray is a way, way more advanced passer than uh, Lamar Jackson was in college. I think Kyler Murray, way better all around passer, going through progressions, you know, making throws that I think Lamar Jackson struggles with. So I think he would be the one other guy into the mix, but again, big unknown right now. I think Haskins, Haskins, the, the, the names that I keep coming back to with Haskins are Jameis Winston and Ben Roethlisberger. And when Winston came in the league, the guy he was often compared to was Roethlisberger in terms of his size. You know, Roethlisberger was more athletic back in the day when he first came into the league. Haskins is a traditional pocket passing quarterback, though. You know, th let's not mistake him for a guy who's going to run and do that. He runs out of more of, out of necessity when it's clearly there. He can do it if he needs to. I think very similar to what Jameis Winston does in Tampa Bay. If he needs to run, he did. And this year, Winston actually had a pretty good year rushing the ball. But Haskins wants to play from the pocket. His size allows him to buy time because he's not easy to get down. He can move around well in the pocket, break tackles, and then make plays. So he gets out the ball really cleanly. He's got a really quick, clean release. He can make every NFL throw. He throws a good touch and anticipation. I think we're going to hear a much more swelling. I still think people are a little bit kind of reserved on their excitement level for Dwayne Haskins. And I think by the time the draft rolls around – he's going to be pushed up. I know as a Giants fan, I want them to move up and get him because I don't think they could sit there at six. Even though the first five teams in front of them don't need a quarterback, someone's going to leapfrog the Giants and take Dwayne Haskins because they're going to fall in love with him. People fall in love with quarterbacks every year. The Bears fell in love with Trubisky. You know, last year the Bills fell in love with Josh Allen. You know, teams do that. Car you know, uh, Browns fell in love with Baker Mayfield. All, all reports are that Dwayne Haskins is great in terms of character, leadership on the whiteboard, that there's going to be multiple teams that I think fall in love with him and are going to be pushing to get into that top five to take this kid. So I think this is a, is a good pick in a super flex league, and it might even be too low if he ends up in an ideal landing spot like the Giants. Haskins is one of the reasons I wanted to make this rookie draft super flex is to talk about him because – this quarterback class is, again, in the whole 2019 class, it's being slipped on a little bit. It's starting to get, start getting excited about these prospects. And him particularly, I, I think again, that Giants landing spot in a super flex is going to be very, very hard not to take. I, 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 he might be the number one overall pick in a, in a super, super flex draft if he lands at the Giants. Uh, and that hasn't really been discussed yet. In a lot of places that I've seen and listened to, uh, I'm not, again, not, not the most active on Twitter by any means, but just the, the things that I read and the things I look into, he's definitely one guy that I wanted to bring up and talk about because uh, although as a college football fan, not a big fan of Ohio State, he, I, I feel like he's gone so under the radar this year, it's incredible. He, he put up Heisman winning stats in any other season. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll just jump in real quick. I think he's gone under the radar in terms of, like, the fantasy community a little bit because we're so accustomed to the Ohio State quarterback not really ever being a guy that we even think about translating, you know, to, to the NFL game. JT Barrett, uh, Braxton Miller, you know, the list goes on and on there even before those guys of guys who were great collegiate quarterbacks running that spread, you know, mostly doing a lot with their legs. And then I remember Haskins played one game last year, and I remember I texted Matt who knows about these guys even earlier than me because he's so into the recruiting process. And I was like, Is, was Dwayne Haskins a big-time recruit? And he was like, yeah, he was a pretty big-time recruit. I was like, I just want, you know, today is the first time I really ever had eyes on him. And I was like, this guy's going to be an NFL prospect for sure, like a big-time guy. He's like, oh, yeah, he's going to be a big-time prospect. And then this whole year, it's just been building, building, building. So I think you're right. I think he could be 1.01 if in a super flex or two-quarterback league, you know, if he lands in the right spot. He'll definitely be in the mix. But it's, it's, and this is maybe a different topic for a different time, but I know that they have some promising young pieces, but I, I don't know that I feel like the Giants is that great a landing spot for a young quarterback. I mean, the, you know, there's a big commitment there to Saquon Barkley. The, the offensive line, I think, is probably um, a bottom half offensive line in the league. So do, are you a Giants fan, Paul, first of all? Yeah. I thought you were. Do you – I mean, obviously, do you think – that if let's say the Giants do go up and get him, do you think he comes in and starts from day one? No, I think I think if he gets drafted, it's probably uh, still Eli's team to start the year. I think they probably look at it very similar to when the Chiefs drafted Mahomes, that they basically go out try to get another piece or two on the offensive line. They basically say, Eli, it's your team. You do well and you keep winning, and you're on the road to the playoffs. Similar to what the Chiefs did with Alex Smith then you keep the job. If halfway through the year, the season's basically down the tubes again, I think then they make the move. Because Haskins, very similar to a guy like Darnold, last year doesn't have a lot of game experience. So that's going to be one of the knocks you hear about him. You know, that knock was set up about Trubisky a couple of years ago, right? You're going to hear the knock about game started. That's going to be a stat. I think the one intriguing aspect of it is I do think Shermer has a good reputation working with quarterbacks getting the most out of them but it's rare a team has offensive weapons in place when they're drafted I mean look at what Josh Rosen was working with look at what Josh Allen was working with you know Baker Mayfield even you know before they had traded for Jarvis Landry, but if they didn't do that, they didn't really have any wide receivers there, you know, and, and same thing with Sam Donald and the Jets. So I think it's rare for a quarterback to get drafted and have one of the top skilled wide receivers in the, in, in the NFL, a skilled pass-catching tight end. I think a very underappreciated number two wide receiver in Sterling Shepard, if you just talk about football skill and not fantasy production, and then also a running back you know 80 or 90 catches but those aren't like 80 or 90 normal running back catches, right? Those dump offs can turn into statistics and production because of how good Barkley is after the catch. So I think, you know, if you just say, you know, Haskins is passing 80 or 90 times to Barkley and 100 times to Beckham, that those 180 or 190 completions are going to be pretty productive statistical-wise. So I, maybe they are committed to the run, but I still think it would lead towards good quarterback stats eventually there and let him grow and develop. But it's going to take some time. It's not going to be immediate. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I was thinking. Uh, what number is this? Oh, it's a 108. And so I originally took, full disclosure, Brian Edwards, and then Paul sent me a message after he saw the mock. He's like, yeah, Ryan, uh, he's going back to school. So that's not a great pick. So uh, I, I said, you know what? Give me a redo. 
Uh, I don't think Will liked it, but you know, I was controlling the the show doc at the time. So I went ahead using real drafts, Ryan. Oh, whatever. So I went (laughs) ahead and and took a guy that I think would be fun to talk about anyway at the 108. I mean, obviously would have gone later had I not had a redo pick, but I took Riley Ridley here because Riley Ridley is a guy that it seems like the film guys on Twitter really love him. He doesn't have great college production. I mean, the guy only does is catch touchdowns. It seems um, in, in, in college, but I'm just wondering if he's a guy that, that like what I'm one kind the Michael Thomas rule doesn't apply to him. A guy that didn't necessarily have amazing numbers when he was in college, but he could be a really good NFL player I heard some people say he's going to be better than his brother, Calvin Ridley in the NFL, or maybe at least a better fantasy player. So Riley Ridley is kind of intriguing to me. And, and it seems like he's a guy that's starting to get some buzz, Paul. And I want to know what you think of him, And do you think it's warranted? Because if you just look at his college production, you know, it's, it's uh, nothing to get too excited about. But, does, but does, is he the real deal? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a fan of Ridley's game. I'm not going to say that he's going to be better than his brother, who I had as my number one wide receiver in last year's class, before the draft, after what some people thought was a poor combine, after he ended up in Atlanta. And I haven't changed that. Like, we update our Dynasty rookie rankings throughout the whole season. I haven't moved off of Calvin Ridley. So I do believe Calvin Ridley, is his older brother, is more talented because I think he's a better pure route runner. But I do think Riley Ridley offers a lot in his own right. I think he's a I think he's a good route runner also. I think he has the capability to win at all three levels of the field. I love his ability to get vertical. Uh, you know, I think he's got good hands. I'm not going to worry too much about the college production because, you know, George is a team that's always had a good, strong running game foundation there. You know, really he's caught a lot of touchdown passes, but they just don't have – gaudy stats you know from doesn't put up gaudy stats week in week out they're wide receivers they really spread it around a bunch across a bunch of different guys but I do think Ridley has a lot to work with I think he's gonna be one of those guys that it's gonna be deemed by some people who who aren't expecting it as a riser in the pre-draft process I think he's got a chance to be a round two pick in the NFL draft you know and I think he's a guy who could push into, you know, the latter part of round one rookie drafts. I think he might settle into the back end or the early part of round two, but I think he's in consideration there. So I don't think this is a reach. I think he's got a skill set that warrants a conversation. I think, you know, it's not just because his last name is Ridley. I don't think he is the same type of player as his brother. I think he's a little bit different. I think Ridley, uh, Calvin Ridley is a little bit smoother in terms of in and out of breaks. I thought he was the best route runner in the, in the country last year in terms of that draft class. I think Ridley's a good route runner, but he's got, I think, you know, the ability to win vertically down the field. Riley Ridley is, is, is what impresses me. And if you watch some of his highlights, he only seems to do is make big plays, you know, and that's how Georgia kind of used him in that role. But I do, I do think he can do more uh, in the short to intermediate range as well and be a complete wide receiver. It's just, again, you're going a little bit on traits there, uh, more so than, you know, production and, you know, a wide range of production that we haven't seen. But I think he's a talented player, and I think he's going to be a name that we hear a lot about over the next couple months as a guy that NFL teams are intrigued by. Will, you're next. We're, we're moving right along in the draft with the 109. Did it get kind of hard for you, Will, when, when you got this late in the draft? Because to me, uh, when I was drafting here, I kind of felt that some of these guys tended to blend together. Was this an easy pick for you? 
It, by, by no means. And I went with my first wide receiver. And so I went with J.J. Arcega-Whiteside from Stanford. And so I, I was looking into this, this pick and, and kind of who he was. And again, Paul, it, it's, uh, I, I mean, I, I thank you for coming on. But it, it, this is a part of listening to your podcast is that he's not like he used to, I feel like he used to be a little bit higher on draft boards and kind of slipped down. But here, the Stanford offense wasn't great this year, but he, 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 he was great on that offense. And so that was important to me. And so at 6'3 and uh, over 200 pounds and just a, an alpha dog wide receiver, I think he has some upside here that I was willing to risk taking. He does have some downside. And I was, I was looking at it at his like high school profile. So when he was coming into college, his high school uh, 40 time was 477 which seems pretty low, but I think that was like just right around like uh, what DK Metcalf was. He had a little vertical too, but I, f- I don't know if it's just different between pe- when people are coming out of high school into college and things like that. But he had a huge percentage of the team's receptions and touchdowns and yards. So for me, it was worth the risk here that he was playing on a bad Stanford offense this year. Not, not bad, but just not as good as it used to be. Stanford offense, and he's still an alpha dog. So I was, was going to take J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, when I saw him, I saw Stanford playing some games this year, and, and he seemed impressive to me. He had big games when I saw him play. So uh, interesting that four seven seven speed in, in high school and how that translates. I mean, Paul, when guys go to college, they get faster. I mean, because they're working with trainers, nutritionists, and stuff like that. So does that matter if you look at high school, 40s? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's not a good time, and it's one of my concerns about him. I'm, you know, I know people who think Arcega Whiteside is a top five, top eight wide receiver in this class. For me, he's more in that, you know, twelve to fourteen range because I do have some concerns about his athletic profile translating to the next level. You know, and I and I worry about him maybe being a guy who, you know is a guy who dominated at the collegiate game with his size and his physical, you know, demeanor. And at the NFL level, that's not going to be there week in and week out. Like he's going to be going up against guys that are more physical. I don't know how good his route running is in terms of creating separation. And I just don't know if he could so over rely on winning at the catch point as much as he did and dominated at the collegiate game at the NFL level. And, you know, honestly, you know, I use every year that I, I watch players and I try to evaluate as a learning opportunity. And I think I probably am down on a few of these guys who have put up great collegiate production because I am, I, I mentioned the names earlier. I'm a little bit spooked almost by the fact that guys like last year who I thought were, you know, round three, round four, round five prospects, you know, when I was watching them on my own, like guys like Alan Lazar, Joel Scott, Simi Cobbs, and, you know, One's going undrafted, one's going in the seventh round. I mean, those guys, you put up, they put up gaudy stats. You look at Jalil Scott, Simi Cobbs, and Alan Lazard, and they were just as dominant at times as some, you know, as a guy like J.J. Arcega-Whiteside or uh, a guy, David Sills, from West Virginia. But I have concerns about a guy like Arcega-Whiteside and David Sills about their athletic profile and them creating space and getting open on a regular basis. So that's my one thing. I'm a little leery on him. I think the combine will be big for him, though. Hey boys, a little, a little real, real live. We're recording here. Little, little real life breaking news. Roto World Football has tweeted that Kyler Murray will enter the NFL draft. Whoa! Are you so serious? The, yeah. So the NFL, uh, NFL draft class just got a lot more interesting, man. So it's gonna be a, 
so it'll be interesting to see where uh, where where he ends up landing and and how that all goes down. So oh, that's so, sweet. So if he ends on the Jaguars, does he hold out and say, "Nope, I'm going to play for the A's"? <laughs> I think uh, uh, a Hall of Fame quarterback once did that. He legitimately could do that, couldn't he? I mean, he yeah. has that option as back. He pocket. owns all the cards. Like, why are, we not, why are we not going to the combine to the draft? This, I, I love this business decision. They even said that, that he really could kind of, you know, he could kind of really pick his landing spot. And it could be a thing that he legitimately has a place in mind. And, and I'll, just, I'll just be a homer for a second. And I'll be like, okay, like he might say, I want New York City. And like, I want the Giants. And I want <laughs> that offense. And if anyone but the Giants draft me, I'm going to go pick up my baseball. And I'm going to go back to Oakland. And I'm going to go play, you know, outfield. I think he's an outfielder. And, you know, it's a legitimate thing that most people don't have. It's going to be interesting now because – is he all in or is he kind of dabbling? Like, you know, I'm excited to kind of read up a little bit on it. I've been holding off. You know, you, uh, you had said before that, uh, Ryan, you had bought uh, the notebook. If you went to the quarterback section, there's a, a thing that literally says, Kyler Murray coming soon if he declares or if he chooses football or something. Like, I just haven't wanted to, to, to dedicate the time to, to write that up until I knew. But I put it there because I thought it was a possibility. And now this, this changes the whole narrative. I mentioned it before. I think now there's two quarterbacks that are squarely potentially in play in Superflex leagues. Because if he's going to the NFL, he's got somebody in his ear thinking he could be a top 30 pick. I think if he was going to be some you know, middle-of-the-run day two pick, he wouldn't, be choose, he wouldn't be thinking about the NFL right now. I think he thinks that he can get first-round money, which would be at the minimum, I think, 8 or $9 million dollars. And that's about five or six more than his signing bonus was in baseball. And he, he wouldn't make any money in baseball until he was about 28 or 29, like real big money, you know, for pro athletes. Uh, by then, if he's a good NFL player, he would already have cashed in, you know, a second, you know, his second contract, which if he was good, would be monstrous. So I don't think the, the financial ramifications, people were so inclined to think, oh, it's baseball. There's a lot more that goes into that after that initial signing bonus, though. You got to make it through years of minor leagues. You know, then you got to be good in the pros, and like you got to be good for like four years before you could even then get the free agency. You know, most great free agents are 28, 29 years old in baseball. A lot could happen in, in eight years if you can get the money now in football. Go get it. Yeah, and just because you're drafted in the, those first those top picks doesn't mean you're coming to the team right away. You could be sitting on a minor league team, and if you're not producing there, if you struggle to adapt to the speed that's changing, it it, it is it's a big it's a big effect. It, like how many how many first round MLB players can you name? And, and I'm not an MLB fan at all, but I feel like it, you don't ever really talk about that once people have progressed in their careers. And I think it's it, it, I mean it's it seemed like a great financial move for him to do it, and I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, and, and the other thing is, like, he's like a star, star athlete right now. Like, right, Heisman Trophy winner. It's, and you know, a, basically a superstar hero, you know, walking around college campus. To go to the minor leagues and get, like, a couple hundred dollars a week and be, like, city to city, you know, the lifestyle that he's probably now grown accustomed to is being a star. That goes away the minute he steps foot, you know, into the single-A Oakland A's, you know, baseball farm team. You know, so – Listen, I, go get go get it. Go be a quarterback in the NFL and try to be the next Russell Wilson. Unless they have a farm team in Iowa, then, you know, <laughs> God bless. <laughs> 
Well, that's fascinating. Great breaking news for, for the show. So, but we, we do have to get back to our mock here and wrap it up. We're, we're, we're getting close. We're just going to go, this is just one round. And um, I'm afraid uh, Murray's not going to slip in because we didn't have this news. Um, so but let's take it up at the 110 tray. And who did you take there? Yeah, the 110, I took a guy that I think is going to be exciting to watch as far as landing spot. Because if he goes, first of all, the, the guy we're talking about is Debo Samuel. Um, and, and I think that Debo Samuel played at South Carolina. And um, a lot of things, I think, kind of hindered his abilities to, to really put up the kind of production that some of these other wide receivers had put up. Um, first being injuries, you know, he, he's, he's kind of struggled um, with some injuries. Um, secondly, the quarterback play was not great. Debo Samuel, you know, we, we've talked about all these other guys that are big, not super athletic, not super fast. Well, well, well this is, that's where he excels. He, he's a, a, a fast, high acceleration guy. I think a guy that can be used in a lot of different ways in an offense you know, everybody likes to talk about, you know, uh, a Tyreek Hill in, in an offense, but Debo Samuel is exactly that kind of athletic profile. And so I think that, you know, landing spot's going to be huge for him. Um, I expect him to, to do quite well at the combine. Um, it'll be interesting to see where things shake out. He, you know, he's a guy I like a lot. I think he's got incredible, incredible potential um, at the NFL level. Yeah, I mean, DJ Moore, I'll just jump in there, is a guy that I'm a big fan of. And I've been saying it all year. If people were fans of DJ Moore last year in the draft process, you should be fans of Debo Samuel. I mean, stylistically, their strengths, uh, how they win, body type, everything is almost mirror images. It's crazy in consecutive years to have two people so similar, I think, in what their their pros are to the game. If anything, I think Debo is a little bit more refined in terms of his receiving ability, in terms of his route running. I don't think, uh, you know, DJ Moore did as much of that in college. I think he used more of his athleticism. So I think Debo going to be a really intriguing prospect. I think he's probably a round two type guy. But I do think, and, and Trey alluded to it, landing spot is going to matter. You, you need to go to a team that knows how to take advantage of his skill set, understand what he, what he does good, you know, and what is not his areas of strength. You know, I hope he goes on a team that also maximizes his, like, running ability. And, you know, I always go back to the Rams because they do such a great job with it. You watch the Rams. How many times in a game do they run those, like, jet sweeps and end the rounds to Brandon Cooks? to Robert Woods, and they're always so productive on those plays. I really do think Debo Samuel can bring that to the table. I like Debo's game. You know, like, I'll keep coming back to it. He's DJ Moore a year later. We see we start DJ Moore make, you know, have a solid rookie year. I think people are very high on him going into his sophomore year. I think that's the way they should be looking at Debo Samuel as well. Hmm. So you think he's going to rise in rookie drafts and Paul, if this guy's DJ Moore 2.0, not that you're saying that, but I mean, uh, you know, DJ Moore was a guy last year that was going, Oh, oh I don't, I mean, you know, a lot of running backs went high, but you know, he was a pretty high pick for, for a lot of people. He was, you know, a lot of people's first uh, wide receiver off the board last year. So I think that's going to happen with Debo or just, just, just depends on landing I, spot. As I, you say. I, I don't know if it's going to happen this year, because I think the big difference was there wasn't those guys that, prototype as those alpha true number one outside x type type wide receivers 
we have a couple of those guys, the DK Metcalfs of the world, you know, if Nikhil Harry lands in the right situation, we have a couple of those bigger guys. Last year, the wide receiver position was very unusual. DJ Moore rose, great athletic testing. There wasn't any of those true elite, you know, big guys that the, the prototypical size frame that we were looking for at wide receiver. So then DJ Moore was really being compared to, you know, Calvin Ridley and then Calvin Ridley didn't test, you know, out as well as people wanted to, even though his game was never really built on like his jumping ability in the vertical and the broad. And people got so concerned about that. And then DJ Moore tested out like a freak, expected that. So I could see why some people started pushing him up. In this draft class, even if Debo Samuel does that, I still think when push comes to shove uh, for the draft, people are going to have DK Metcalf uh, higher than him because he profiles as that more traditional, you know, wide receiver style that we're looking for. Even though Debo might be more skilled than him, I still think, you know, I think the 106 to, you know, 110, 112 probably is going to be the range where Debo goes if I'm, if I'm projecting from this far out. I don't think he has an opportunity to move much further up than that because I think there'll be a running back or two in the mix. And I think more of those bigger wide receivers might be uh, pushed towards the top of that draft when push comes to shove. So I do think this is about right for Debo. I think maybe he can move up a couple picks, you know, but I think even DJ Moore, unless I'm wrong, I kind of feel like he probably settled in somewhere in like the 1.08 to 1.10 last year, unless I'm remembering incorrectly. No, so I, think you're, I think that's right. It depends on, on the draft. Because there were some people that did like him that reached from a little bit sooner than that because uh, yeah, he, he gets some serious hype. But, but yeah, no, I think exactly. you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there won't be as many wide receivers at the top this year. So definitely there'll be more, I'm sorry, there won't be as many running backs at the top this year. So it's definitely going to push these wide receivers up. So if people start, you know, pushing him up to where they pushed DJ Moore last year, then I think you're right. Then I think he will push up. I just think people are going to be more inclined to uh, push up some of those other guys like the Harrys or the Metcalfs of the world, because they look more of like the dominant traditional old school wide receiver ones. Yeah, and there's still exciting wide receivers to talk about. Like, Will, the, the guy you took here at the 111, another guy that's, that's really intriguing. <laughs> Which I got kind of goaded into this uh, by, by the Roto Librarian here on the, on the podcast. You had to take him. It's no, just so it, it just is a, so I'm, for what it's worth, I really am not an Iowa State fan by, by any means, but I do watch more of their games because I do, you know, not Iowa in general. And – Akeem Butler has really surprised me because he's a 6'6 guy. So you think 6'6 guy, this dude's frail. Like, he's going he's gonna to get knocked down. He's going to get beat easily and things like that. And, again, Paul, this is a guy that you guys talked about, and it wasn't overly – it wasn't – sorry, it wasn't overfavorable for him as a prospect when it comes to, like, blocking and route running. And maybe he's a little bit softer of a player than what he's exactly showing. But from what I saw from Hakeem Butler at Iowa State – I think this dude, he's a 6'6 alpha dog who's strong, who can break tackles. And regardless of whether or not it's Big 12 competition, it matters when, when a guy comes at you and you, you knock him down. When you're that tall and that strong and you're coming out early, I, I like that prospect. And I like what he did for that team. And he was very impressive to me. And I wanted to talk to him about him in this early mock draft because of that. Because he's, this, he's a slight enigma because 6'6 six, six is almost like – you're past the height range, you know, when it comes to wide receivers to what can be successful. And he just – he was a different 6'6 player to me. Like, he's not, he's not Coleman for the Saints. He's, he's somebody much stronger and is going 
to me at least, I, I believe, can translate slightly better into the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I'll jump in there. Butler's a guy who I recently watched. He was one of those guys who uh, was on the back end of my watching. Didn't watch him before the season started, but as the year went on, kept hearing his name, watched some Iowa State games, started to become intrigued with him, recently went through and watched as much film on him as I was able to get. He's a guy for – it's rare to see a guy that size be such a good vertical threat. You know, because he's very fluid in his movements for a guy that size. Like, you know, I know I kept bringing up the guys from last year, but he's he's a much different type of athlete than I think the guys like last year, Lazards, Cobbs, Joel Scott, you know, Marcel Aitman's of the world. I think Butler's more athletic than those guys. I think he needs, though, to be in an offense that knows how to maximize his skill set of he's a vertical wide receiver at that size he's a guy who can get vertical make plays in the air I don't think he's a great route runner I think you have to understand when you're getting him he needs to be in like a vertical based passing offense I don't think his skill set translates well to you know a West Coast style where they're mostly throwing short stuff. And a lot of teams run a West Coast or a spread that doesn't take a lot of shots vertically down the field. I don't I think Butler's skill set and his best strength would be mitigated in that and not be taken advantage of fully. So I do think a little bit of risk comes with him because I do think landing spot and the scheme in particular in that landing spot really will carry a lot of weight in terms of how valuable he is at the next level. So that's my one thing. I love his ability in the air. I love his catch radius, his length, his ability to high point it, acrobatic catch after acrobatic catch, some separation concerns in and out of his breaks, his overall route refinement, and scheme fit for all. I don't think he can universally fit any scheme, and I think that's an important part of his game in terms of maybe how high an NFL team. I could see one NFL team having him as a first-round grade. I could see another NFL team has him as a day three grader off their board, you know, solely based on the scheme that they run. You know, Tampa Bay, not that they need a wide receiver, but they run a vertical offense. They just brought in Bruce Arians, who is all about a vertical-based passing offense. That would be an ideal landing spot, you know, take out that they already have two really talented wide receivers, but that scheme fit would be ideal for him. I think that's going to be important for Hakeem Butler and his overall value. Let me go to a little bit of Nair's street here too. Uh, so Hakeem Butler, as a kid, he actually grew up with the Harrison twins that went to Kentucky for basketball. So he grew up in an athletic family and a lot of athletic challenges. And not that that means – anything except for narrative street so he has been challenged i assume his whole life he's been overshadowed by those guys and he was overshadowed anyway because he's growing up with his uncle and in texas and like it, it probably you know just a harder life than you know what i lived uh, and i, I like the storyline behind that and he chose football and he ended up at iowa state and i love that he he's flashed so hard recently and his strength and his, his i mean he dropped a few catches this year, but I think, yeah, he's not going to don't, don't draft him expecting him in my mind to be a a boom guy. He's not going to be like uh, anybody who's going to put up big stats year one. It's going to take him some time and and it could have been failing. And that, you know, this is a guy I just want to talk about. I don't know if I take the risk in the first round at this point, but maybe some guy that you can grab a little bit later that I think is, has some, some good, great upside. Uh, another guy that I was thinking about that I just want to talk about because Trey's going to have the last pick uh, would be Greg Dorch from Wake Forest. 
because that's a guy who hasn't getting talked to a lot about. You talked about it in your podcast, and he recently declared for the draft. Yeah, I mean, Dorch is a guy – he's another guy I just watched. I have him a little bit ahead of Akeem Butler and overall, you know, my skill evaluation in terms of watching him. But Dorch is another guy who – you got to understand what he is and who he is. You know, he's a guy who's going to win out of the slot, but he can get vertical. You got to get him the ball in space. You know, he's not going to be a guy who wins contested catches regularly. He's going to test out fantastically. You could watch him and you're going to, you know, for every guy who, you know, you want to say is Tyree Kill, most aren't going to be. I mean, Tyree Kill is rare and he's a freak. But you watch Greg Dorch highlights, you watch him play a little bit, and you see some Tyreek Hill stuff. So I totally get it. You know, I, I saw some, you know, Tyler Lockett stuff out of Greg Dorch. I think he's a guy who, you know, where he lands, it better be with a creative-minded coach who knows how to ma- maximize a guy like that. Because if he does, I think he's going in the first round of rookie drafts. You know, I think he's probably going to be a day-two pick in the NFL teams see the impact that a Tyreek Hill has made and they want to try to get their own version of that, you know, and whether or not they can replicate even half of the success that Tyreek Hill's had is to be determined. But Dorch is an intriguing player. He's put up massive production there at Wake Forest, which doing that at that, you know, level of school, you know, in terms of most of what's around him has been inferior uh, compared to who they play. I think he's been impressive nonetheless He's an interesting guy. I think you're going to hear a lot about him. I think you're going to start seeing him a lot more on first-round rookie mocks uh, moving forward. And he's an explosive player. He's a fun player. He's a guy who's going to blow up the combine. So he's going to be on everybody's combine winner list. And I think that is going to be intriguing about him. But, you know, he is 5'9", 170 pounds, I, I believe. So, I mean that's obviously going to be a little bit of an issue. You got to, you got to, he's not going to be a guy who's going to get off press. He's not going to be a guy, you know, that wins in contested and close situations, but he's got electric speed, quickness, agility, all that stuff. So he's an intriguing player, but you know, people are going to automatically want to pencil him into Tyree kill. And you know, that's not something that people should throw out there lightly because Tyree kill is very rare. And this is one of the guys I just wanted to bring up quickly, uh, Paul, to to go about why you're you're what we do for scouting and what you guys do as a podcast and why it's great to buy your notebook is I don't know if like if many people have heard about Greg Dorch unless I'm listening to you, but if you just heard the way you described him, the way you analyzed him, and the way that he's going to be a big draft riser, that's super important to know before you go into the combine and things like that. And I really appreciate those those kind of tips and takes and opinions. And so I wanted to just mention him, uh, uh, you know, you know, quickly, so that you have an opportunity to show exactly what you're going into. Because nobody walked to Wake Forest unless you went to Wake Forest this year. So yeah. th- thank you for that. Absolutely, and thank you for the kind words. I know Matt and I are pushing hard over there to constantly uh, bring as much attention to as many prospects as we get to. You know, sometimes in, with a two-man team over there, you know, there's guys that you know we don't get to for a while. I just watched a couple guys today. Little Jordan Humphrey out of Texas. Uh, is one guy that I just watched. Uh, Macaulay Hardman out of Georgia just declared. I just watched him today. You know, they're not even in my rankings yet. I just haven't had a chance to, you know, update my rankings now that I've watched those two guys. So it it, it just keeps evolving, keep, you know, adding more guys that I finally get a chance to get around to and watch. So we're at the end of our drafts. And Trey, you're kind of of breaking a rule here. You're you're taking somebody in the first round, a certain player, a certain position that – you know you're going to have to wait on for a while, right? Or will you? Who did you take 
with the 112. Yeah, I, I mostly took I mostly took this guy at the end of this first round, one to give us the segue into talking about this tight end class, which Paul kind of already did. But you know, I, I think Noah Fant from Iowa um, is the guy that I took, and, and and part of it is because you know right now we're we're getting into this transitionary stage in fantasy where like if you don't own one of those top three tight ends and 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 because really right now it's like Kelsey Hertz and Kittle if you don't own one of those three guys I don't think you feel really good about your tight end position moving forward sure there's Evan Ingram there's Hunter Henry there's there's a lot of other guys that could produce that might produce but the opportunity to add a guy like Noah Fant, right, the, the knock against him is that he's not a great blocker. Fine. Put him on an NFL team in an offense that's going to use him as a move tight end, to, a la Evan Ingram, his rookie season. And this is a guy that can be a, a tight end one. You know, we, we talked last year. Can, can Mike Gesicki go down to Miami and be a tight end one? Uh, no, because they use them, you know, blocking like 20% of the time he's on the field. But – Noah Fan is a guy that can come in in the right offense and be a tight end one his rookie season in the NFL. He's a guy with incredible athleticism, and, and I think he's going to be a great tight end. I, at a time when we're really looking for tight ends, um, I think that he's a, a great prospect. There's, there's a lot of tight ends. I, I mean, I, I think that there's some people out there that don't even have Noah Fan as their number one tight end. Um, there, there's, you know, the the – the tight end whose name I will not attempt to pronounce uh, out of Missouri um, and, and, you know, quite a few other guys at, at this really deep position. But I think fans got an opportunity to be really special in the NFL. So, so first of all, Paul, how do you pronounce that guy's name? Albert Oakwood Bunham. Yeah. We've we just, <laughs> we just, we just given up and we just call him Albert O on the Saturday, Sunday podcast. I like it. Albert O. Okay. And there we may, go. Maybe after the whole pre-draft process, hearing his name pronounced, you know, on every single podcast that's talking about tight ends and the combine, you know, all week. And then You'll still- maybe, maybe by the time like draft weekend comes around, I'm going to, I'm going to try again on air because I did it once and I, I listened back to it. And it really wasn't right. So I was like, all right, I'm just calling him Albert O from now on out of Missouri athletic tight end. I think he's a day two prospect. I'm, I'm intrigued by him. I'm a little nervous of him kind of morphing into Mike Gusecki 2.0 of he is exclusively a pass catching tight end, very athletic, uh, I think he's going to take some time, though, to really learn the nuances. You know, at Missouri, like, you know, the scheme that they play, all their receivers and tight ends wide open. You know, so I think it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment period for him, but he's got a lot of upside. I'd put him on the day two bubble. Caden Smith, who Tony Pauline, who does a great work over at uh, Draft Analyst, he thinks Caden Smith out of Stanford is potentially a first-round pick. I like Caden Smith's game. I, I kind of compare him to, you know, stylistically, he's not going to have the career this guy had. But Jason Witten was never a guy who won with athleticism, right? He won with really good, savvy, smarts, route running, using his body. He was always open. He just knew how to run good routes and always get open, and then he caught everything. That's Caden Smith, and Caden Smith could win at the catch point. He could high point the ball well. I think Caden Smith's a really good prospect. I think he's a day two guy. And then there's a whole bunch of other guys that 
could either maybe sneak into round three or, or I think are going to be round day three guys and Mitchell Wilcox out of, um, out of South Florida. If he comes out, uh, Jay Sternberger out of Texas A&M Dawson Knox out of Ole Miss, Caleb Wilson out of UCLA, Isaac Nauta out of Georgia, Alze Mack out of Notre Dame, who's my, who's going to be my Chris Herndon, you know, under the radar tight end, who I think has got untapped athletic upside, who's going to be intriguing and didn't put up a lot of stats in college. I mean, it goes 11 deep if all those guys come out of really intriguing. And I even mentioned the three guys at the top, Fant, Irv Smith Jr. and, and TJ Hawkinson. If Smith Jr. And, and Hawkinson come out, I think those are the guys who legitimately have a chance to, to be first-round picks. I think Irv Smith Jr. is O.J. Howard 2.0, just a little bit shorter, I think, by an inch or two, and like 10 pounds less. But Nick Saban does a great job of keeping these Alabama guys there longer than you think. I, I'm not going to be surprised if Irv Smith goes back. And Hawkinson apparently has made up his mind or like 95%, but he hasn't said it yet. So I don't know what he's waiting on. As someone (laughs) who tries to evaluate these guys and write profiles, I'd really appreciate him just deciding one way or another so I know what's going on. But I think it's a really strong tight end class. Trey, you asked me back in the beginning. I think tight end class would be, if they all come out, I think it's the strongest group. I think wide receiver would be second, running back third, quarterback fourth. Uh, in terms of fantasy, I'd understand someone saying wide receiver is the strongest, you know, then maybe running back, then tight end. But I think there's a lot of tight end potential here. And you already talked about it. There's not a lot of guys that we feel really good about. I think fast forward three, four years, I think there could be three top eight tight ends out of this class. And then, you know, top eight, you know, all tight end ones in the top eight overall. I think they have that type of upside. Similar, I think very similar to Ingram, Najoku, and O.J. Howard two years ago. I think my comp for Noah fan is Evan Ingram. I think he's a little bit more raw, so I think maybe, you know, I could see someone saying athletically he's Evan Ingram, his body type, but I think he's a little bit more raw like David Njoku in terms of his route running. So I do think it might be a little bit of a waiting period there. Earth Smith Jr., I already said, to me, comps to O.J. Howard. And T.J. Hawkinson, to me, is very Hunter Henry-like, like I said. So I do think it could be a special class. Just the tight ends are usually something that we got to wait on in fantasy. So I can see someone saying for fantasy, tight ends not the strongest group. So, Paul, you've been super generous with your time. Just a, a couple, maybe a couple things quickly to get us out of here. And this is going to be hard to talk about this quickly. But when you looked at our list, you, you mentioned a couple of uh, guys that we were kind of missing. Um, and, and two Oklahoma players on that list, um, Marquise Brown, and then Rodney Anderson. And I think when we talked about this draft, um, we talked about the fact that Brown is, is pretty undersized. So that was a concern. And then with Rodney Anderson, I think for me, just the, the injury history that he has. So do you want to briefly mention those guys and, and what you think? I'm really curious about Marquise Brown with his size. If, if you, where you, where you see him going, like what his yeah. future is like in the NFL? Yeah. So I think Mark, I think there's a legitimate possibility Marquise Brown is the first wide receiver taken in the NFL draft. If it's not DK Metcalf, my guess would be Marquise Brown. Um, I think it should be Calvin Harmon, but I think people are still intrigued with the speed that a guy like Marquise Brown could offer. And it's one of those things that if they have a certain type of wide receiver on their roster already, Marquise Brown might complement what they already have. I mean, 
I didn't think Will Fuller would deserve to be a first-round pick, but he was because the Texans wanted a certain type of wide receiver to complement DeAndre Hopkins. Marquise Brown offers a unique element to his game, that rare calling card, that speed. And I understand everybody wants to say he's John Ross. I don't think he's John Ross. Listen, and whatever, John Ross hasn't panned out, but – you know, some of it's been injury, some of it's been skill. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a good statement to say, oh, Marquise Brown's another, another John Ross, because he could also be T.Y. Hilton. You know, he could be somewhere between T.Y. Hilton and Tyler Lockett. You know, and then, you know, he's definitely worth consideration as a first-round pick in the NFL draft, and he probably warrants consideration, you know, in first round of rookie drafts. So if Marquise Brown goes round one in the NFL draft, I think there's a pretty strong likelihood he sneaks somewhere into the top 12 picks of, you know, of a fantasy rookie draft for Dynasty. So I think that's the thing about Marquise Brown. Is he undersized? For sure. But we're seeing more and more smaller wide receivers having a bigger impact at the NFL more than we've ever seen before. You know, from, you know, it started with guys like Antonio Brown and Odell Beckham, but it's expanded to guys maybe not at that level, you know, Tyree Kill, you know, We've seen Tyler Lockett. We've seen a lot of other guys make impact who are smaller wide receivers. Marquise Brown, I think, is a really good wide receiver who has that rare calling card, that rare trait, that explosive ability. And that's why I have him in my top five right now because of that rare calling card and trait. I think it translates to the NFL. You know, I'm not going to hold the John Ross, you know, failure so far against a guy like Marquise Brown. So I think Brown's interesting. And Rodney Anderson was my number one running back in this draft class last August. I've only moved him down to number two. You know, I have Josh Jacobs one, Anderson two, David Montgomery three. I think Anderson is the complete package. I love the way he runs. He's a good receiver out of the backfield. I think a lot of the things I'm talking about with Jacobs, I don't think Anderson was that far off of that in terms of his all-around game, you know, so I really like Rodney Anderson. The injury is obviously a, a big concern, just like we talked about with DK Metcalf before. He's got to answer the medical concerns, you know, at the combine. Is he going to be able to run before, you know, he even gets drafted? We don't know. We don't know if he's going to have any pre-draft workouts. But on, on talent alone, he can be a three-down running back. And I don't think there's a lot of them in this draft class. He's a guy who I think could be a three-down running back. He has the size and frame to handle the heavy workload, but the speed and quickness to run inside, to run outside, good vision that he can probably run, a, you know, a, uh, a gap, uh, a zone scheme or a gap running scheme. So I think he's pretty versatile for most teams. So I really like Rodney Anderson, and I'll just kind of wrap it up with a couple of other guys that I think have a legitimate chance to push their way into a round one uh, of Dynasty Dress rookie consideration are a couple other running backs that we haven't talked about tonight. Uh, and that would be Damien Harris, the other Alabama running back. And then keep an eye on these three running backs. Miles Sanders out of Penn State, Devin Singletary out of Florida Atlantic, and Travion Williams out of Texas A&M. Miles Sanders and Travion Williams declared most recently within the last week. Devin Singletary a little bit before them. I think all of those guys are going day two. So then we go back to it's all about landing spot and fit. Do they land in the right situation where they can get immediate playing time? The odds are high that one or two probably end end up in a good spot that I think they can push their way 
uh, into the round one mix. And I'm a fan of all of their games. Miles Sanders, Singletary, and Travion Williams, they kind of sit there in that next tier for me after the top three guys of Jacobs, Anderson, and Montgomery. So those are just a couple other running backs that I think have a legitimate chance to push up. I don't really see anybody else. Maybe Paris Campbell out of Ohio State at the wide receiver position. But those are pretty much the only names that I look at. I scan over my list right now and think have a legitimate shot uh, to be in the first round of a rookie draft. Yeah, uh, so Sanders out of Penn State, I think a lot of people forget too. He was the number one running back coming out of high school. And yeah, that, absolutely. And that five-star recruit. And, you know, whatever shook down there, and his, the way his career has gone, he's still coming out early. And so his combine, I think, is going to be huge for him and what he does. And yeah, I mean, and, and let's be honest. quickly. And he was playing behind Saquon Barkley. So, I mean, is it really a surprise that he didn't get a lot of run his first two years? But when he did come on the field, it wasn't like he wasn't, he wasn't productive. I mean, he was really productive those two years behind Barkley, if you watch him. And then this year, you know, he was a guy that Matt and I talked about in the summer that we thought had the chance to rise up our rankings and, you know, the consensus, I think I had, I think we had him like 10 or 11 in our, in our rankings before the season started. And now he's at five for me and Matt hasn't finalized and updated his rankings recently. Uh, he's in the process of doing that. I'm assuming for Matt too, he's probably going to be in the top five or top six as well. So I think Sanders is a day two pick. And uh, I, I think Williams and Singletary are also going to go in that mix. I think we probably have have a chance at, at five to seven running backs going in the first three rounds. But I think a lot more of them are going to be day two guys with maybe one, maybe two sneaking in round one, but I think maybe only one guy in round one. And then we see a little bit of a surge on night two. And, and last thing, I got to sink this in here. Any love for Benny Snell from Kentucky? No. <laughs> okay. That's well, all I need. <laughs> and here, the, thing, the thing about Benny Snell is great college player. To me, his game doesn't translate to what the NFL is asking of their running backs. You know, he's a two-down, really physical, strong, powerful runner. He's got a role in the NFL for sure. But unless he lands in the perfect situation and he becomes like the next Chris Carson, which I don't think is out of the realm of possibility, I think that I think that is the few and far between to get that opportunity to be that bruising between the tackles, two down runner that offers very minimal in the passing game. So I think he's a guy, you know, Samaje P. Ryan like type player who had a great career at Oklahoma, you know, and went early in the fourth round. I don't I wouldn't be stunned if a guy like Benny Snell goes in the fourth round or so of an NFL draft and is a compliment to another guy, a more shiftier third down receiving type back. But I think he would have to be a very ideal situation where they have a clear third down change of pace type guy already established and they want to add this guy and then maybe it takes an injury for him to kind of seize the backfield similar to Chris Carson. Because I do think he has talent. I just think he doesn't offer a lot in the pass game. And that's become so prevalent in today's NFL that you have to be, you know, at least serviceable in the pass game. And right now I haven't seen that out of Benny Snell. So he kind of sits down in like that 14 to 15 range for me uh, around guys like Elijah Holyfield, uh, you know, after guys like Miles Gaskett and Justice, uh, Justice Hill. I have uh, a sleeper that you guys may not have heard of. Check out Darwin Thompson at a Utah State. He is going to be compared – at nauseum to Tariq Cohen, and rightfully so. He's he's this year's draft Tariq Cohen. You t- you turn on YouTube, type in his name, you will watch him play, and he's literally a mirror clone of Tariq Cohen. Uh, Darrell Henderson out of Memphis is an intriguing name. He's another guy, major production in college. Uh, seemed like he always had massive wide open running lanes. 
got some bursts to him now. It's a, it's a very deep running back class too. It just it doesn't have a lot at the top, but there's a lot of guys who you can say, yeah, I could see round four, I could see round five, maybe sneaks into round three, but a lot of guys on day three are going to be there who were really really talented collegiate players like Snell, Henderson, Holyfield, uh, Gaskin, Justice Hill, Travis Homer's a little bit of a sleeper at, for me uh, out of Miami. Bryce Love seems to be forgotten this year after going back to Stanford. He's at number eight on my board. I think he's probably going to end up being in round four. So there's going to be a ton of really well-known running backs mm-hmm. who end up getting taken on day three. And if they end up in the right spot, you know, they can make a name for themselves and have fantasy viability. This, I just wanted to ask you, do you think – I'm a big Gator fan, man. Went to UF, and um, so Will Greer's a guy that I watched when he played at Florida. Do you think that there's a chance that he gets a shot at the NFL level? Uh, Have you you watched him? I mean, I I know people are going to kind of write him off because they think that he's just a product of that West Virginia offense, but the guy's got all the tools, man. No, I like him. He's actually, you know – now I have to, you know, in my rankings, I've had Kyler Murray there, but Will Greer's my third. If Kyler Murray is added a draft, let's say he decides, you know, baseball is what he's going to do, even though what we heard today, Will Greer yeah. would be my number two ranked quarterback in this draft class. I like okay. Greer more right now than Locke and Jones. Now that I haven't went back and watched all of this year yet. So yeah. I, I heard Locke look better towards the latter part of the year. I, I heard Daniel Jones looked really impressive at, at certain points this year. So, you know, I didn't get eyes on a lot of Duke games. I watched him in his bowl game, and Daniel Jones was unbelievable. But I, I strongly, if the Giants didn't take a quarterback at the top of round one, I'd be all I'd be very okay with them taking Will Greer in the top of round two because I think he could be that point guard facilitator for their mm-hmm. offense and be yeah. a really productive quarterback. And I think he would fit Shermer's system. I mean, Shermer turned Case Keenum into a really good quarterback last year as just being that facilitator. Yeah. I think Greer could be that because I love his ability to play off structure. To me, he's yeah. got a little bit of Baker Mayfield in him. I'm not going to, you know, he's not going to be the first pick in the draft. He's probably yeah. not going to be as good as Baker. But you watch him play and you see some Baker-like things out of Will Greer. So, yeah, I've been a big fan most of the year of Greer. Yeah, that's cool. I'm excited. I, I, I hope he does well. I, I think he got a raw deal at Florida. I think McElwain, you know, I, I was super bummed because, you know, before he got suspended, Florida, we, you know, that season was like 7-0 and and our offense looked the best I had in a long, long time. And and then he got suspended and, you know, got kicked out of school. But he, he was, you know, playing pretty, pretty incredibly. And then obviously West Virginia's, I mean, he's just been lights out there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Thanks, man. I was just curious. Yep. I think so it'll be an interesting case for skipping the bowl game too, uh, for for where he ends up, just because he's not that he wasn't that like top 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 guy coming in like super high end. Anyway, yeah, you're gonna see. I think that's gonna start to become so much more the norm. It's just not working yeah. for these smaller bowl games. I just don't. I don't mind it either. No, I don't mind it at all. Like, listen, if a guy starts sitting out the playoff games, like then you know it's a little bit of a buzzkill. But these other games, they take a month off from football. Some of these games before they play, like you pull something, you you know, you tear an ACL or something, you just lost millions of dollars, and you might never in your life ever get that back again. I mean, Jalen Smith, you know, God bless him, he's been able to you know fully come back and really start looking like the player he was. But he was going to be a top five pick and literally be guaranteed $25 million. Now he's been playing on his second uh, round contract. He probably has made $5 million, 
I mean, I, I don't feel bad for guys who made four or five million dollars, but, it's, <laughs> but it's, a, it's a twenty million gap. Or yeah, so, probably. It's that butt thing too. Yeah, and I mean, and what if and what if Jalen Smith never got back to you know being as good as he is right now? So Jalen Smith's probably going to get a really good second contract. But if he wasn't ever as good again, you know, that would be twenty million dollars that he might never make up, and then all the future earnings that he was maybe going to be in line to make up. You know, all the play in the bowl game that had no meaning whatsoever. You know, if a player wants to play, God bless him. You know, I, I get it. But if a player wants to sit out, I, I totally understand that, you know, that perspective as well. So, Paul, you've been super generous with your time tonight. This is uh, going to turn out to be, uh, well, if this is the end, our listeners know this is a long podcast, but totally worth it because we have done a great job of introducing our listeners to the 2018 rookie class. A lot of these names, if they'd been listening to your podcast, throughout the year they would know so once again paul tell our listeners where they can find you tell them about the the premium notebooks because they really are unbelievable i think it's a steal you guys sell this uh the, the, this kit the the set of notebooks for it's 9.95 right 9.95 it's amazing content um tell people where they can find it Sure. And first, I just want to say uh, thank you guys so much for having me on. I always love coming on the show. Hopefully, I could uh, get back on before the draft, after the, the combine dust settles, and we get a little bit clearer of a picture of these guys. Uh, I would definitely uh, look forward to coming back. In terms of the notebooks, you could go over to SaturdaySundayFootball.com. You could also find uh, the website off my Twitter handle, off Matt's Twitter handle, and then we also do have a SS Football Twitter handle as well. Uh, click the link, go right into the, our website, click on where it says Premium Notebooks, and it's not for $9.99. You get access to all four notebooks. You get immediate access to two. One's the 2019 Scouty Notebook, which we've been – working on since august it, it's released in august and then it's just constantly updated throughout the season tabs for each of the skill players like i said about 20 quarterback profiles in there already about 25 running back 25 wide receiver uh 15 to 20 tight end you know once we officially know who's in who's out we kind of separate it and we'll make uh four tabs just for the draft guys and then we'll keep the other ones there as well kind of give you a leg up on next year's class already uh constantly updating it strengths weaknesses how they win nfl role nfl scheme fit uh individual things for quarterbacks like arm talent accuracy decision making other individual traits for the receivers tight ends uh and running backs as well you get the rankings notebook which has our draft eligible rankings on skill and talent you have our devi rankings uh, and then we also put out our tiers after, uh, in between the Senior Bowl and the Combine that we constantly update. And then right after the draft, we put out our Dynasty Rookie Rankings. The Rankings Notebook is updated for an entire basically year if you bought it in August up until the next release the following year. And then in addition, you get two more notebooks. One is the Freshman Notebook. So if you play in Debbie or you just, you know, we just heard Trevor Lawrence and Justin Ross, two dominant freshmen. Matt's been on top of those guys. They were in the Freshman Notebook last year. He's basically watches through hours and hours of, of high school film and writes 40 or 50 profiles on the top incoming freshmen. That'll come out uh, late February or sometime in by the middle to late of March. And then uh, in April, you get the draft projections notebook, which has a tab for every position, offense and defense, a few notes on the players in terms of their best traits, their metrics, uh, their combine scores, all that stuff. And then I projected in terms of what I'm hearing. So nothing in terms of what I feel, but in terms of what I gather and I hear, I put it in the order I think they're going to go with a, with a draft round projection. And then I obviously those 
do those big board tabs that I remember talking about uh, when I came on the show on uh, the night of the draft last year where I tried to accurately predict the 32 players who go in round one, the, the 100 players that go uh, in the first three rounds, and then tra- take my best guess at trying to predict uh, every single player that goes in the draft. It is the best way to support the show. Uh, we, have, we haven't created any other way. This is the way we hope that people, uh, for $9.99, you get all that. You know, so $10 basically for all four of those. Uh, we like to think it's a good value. So hopefully, uh, you know, people check it out. If not, get over at least to the podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. We greatly appreciate that. It's a steal, my friend. It's a steal. It's not more, more <laughs> than a great value. It's a steal. I mean, a couple of real life examples. You know, for, first of all, you're, with your draft predictions, you did extremely well. Uh, a lot of us play in leagues where that's part of our, you know, competition. Like, like we're in a, a league together where that's, that, that's one of the off-season things we do to predict the draft. So you can use that tool for that. You do a great job with that. Um, Matt with his freshman rankings, my, I joined my first Debbie league. I used his rankings. I got guys like Justin Ross on my team because of those rankings. So I think my Debbies are great. So no, your content is top notch, my friend. And we really appreciate you joining the show. So thanks for coming back to fancy Joe's and we'll definitely talk before, uh, you know, as we close the draft for sure. And, and also another quick pitch is, is Paul, it's good for the, the it's also, it's, it's not just, if you're not in a Debbie league, you're not into full on dynasty and you're just dipping your toes in. This is a great way to get into it. It's a very low entry cost and you get a very high content level and you can surf through it. You can find out what you want. And you can find out what you, you know, is too much for you. And so, you know, we're the fancy Joe's, you know, we're the, we're the, we're trying to be like the average people, you know, appeals to the average consumer. And this is a great, like to me, at least you get so much information and then it's up to you of what you do for it. You, you have, a, you have casual reads, you have in-depth reads, you have a great podcast. And I honestly, I recommended this to a lot of people who are getting into Dynasty who I'm not in leagues with. Well, thank you very much. I greatly appreciate it. And yeah, even in the scouting notebooks, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of information there. But even if you just want a short synopsis on the player, you don't have time to read through that detail of scouting reports, you can go right to where how they win NFL role, NFL projection, and, you know, what round, what their uh, starting wide receiver, you know, slot outside wide receiver, and then how they win with like two sentences. And you can even skip all the other stuff if there's a, you know, where we really go into some more detail-oriented stuff just to get a feel for these players. It's a great thing to have open, you know, during the combine or before the combine just to kind of get a feel for these guys. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a good, it's a good compliment. We like to call it to the podcast, you know, as something that, you know, we put, we can go a little bit deeper in the notebooks than maybe we can on an hour or an hour and 15 minute podcast. We're such fanboys. What can we say? I got house what? chores to do and I need a podcast. <laughs> to listen to, Paul. <laughs> this, the last one was like 42 minutes. I was like, what? <laughs> well, don't worry. Well, don't worry. Draft season is approaching. This is I know. I'm excited. This is usually when we start doing like two, three a week sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you guys got to check out ESPN has this tweet that they put up. It just 21 minutes ago. It says in October, 2018, Cliff Kingsbury said he would take Kyler Murray as the first pick of the NFL draft if he could. And you know, the Cardinals are the, have the number one pick. So wow. like literally, <laughs> like literally now there's people like that are t- quote tweeting this and saying like, He's going to take Kyler Murray number one overall and trade Rosen to the Giants. I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> we'll, we'll give, but we're, we're not paying the first round investment though. As a Giants fan, we'll no. give, we'll give, we'll pay our second round pick. So yeah. if, if you're willing to take like take like thirty nine for Josh Rosen, we'll gladly take him off your hands. It's just I, funny, I, like I, how crazy is it that he 
you know, this was in October. It's like three months ago. He said, you know, if I had the first pick overall in the NFL draft, I'd take Kyler Murray. And now he's got the first pick in the NFL draft and Kyler Murray's there. That's crazy. It's so crazy how this stuff happens, isn't it? Oh, it's so much fun. All right. With that, let's get out of here, guys. Um, Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter at FFJoes. We're going to ramp it up. We're, we're getting into the, the the real season. There's no off season with Dynasty, Dynasty season. That's right, Dynasty season. This is where we thrive. So Dynasty. thanks for joining us. It's going to be great. We got, we'll talk to you about all things we've got in store. But in the meantime, um, you know, subscribe, rate, review, all that fun stuff, and keep listening. We are the Fantasy Jets. The Fantasy Jets. The Fantasy Jets. <laughs> 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 <laughs>